some of you know that my um, family that I grew up in, die-hard Chicago Cubs fans. So my dad would, I know, some yays, some boos. I love sports. But we remember when we used to go to sporting events? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, growing up, my parents would actually take us out of school for opening day at Wrigley Field. Yes, exactly. Education, Chicago Cubs, that was clear, right? The Cubs. But um, one of the most famous baseball players in history is the legendary Babe Ruth. And there's this kind of famous story where <coughs> one time he was up to bat and the umpire, there were three balls that came and the um umpire was like, strike, strike strike, you know, all three strikes, and he never swung, and um, Babe Ruth, the stadium, you know, 40,000 some people were stunned, shocked, and so he turns to the ump, and he says, um, you know, there are 40,000 people here who know that that last one was a ball, <laughs> and the, the umpire says back to him, uh, it may be true, but mine is the only opinion that counts. And, of course, that's right, you know, in baseball. Uh, we are living right now in a world of a thousand opinions. And whose opinion counts? Like, whose authority do you trust? Who are the experts for you. There seem to be like experts in every field imaginable, um, sometimes saying conflicting things. So who do you look to as your authority? Certainly the wild west of the internet has not helped this. Um, if you want to believe something is true, you probably can find someone online to confirm that that thing you want to believe is true. Uh, and it was interesting, if you watch The Social Dilemma, the documentary on, on Netflix, they really painted this um, picture, gave this explanation for how did we get into these deep divides that we find ourselves in in the world. And one of the things that really stood out to me was when they were talking about how, you know, if you go onto your search browser, and you type in, just for example, global warming, depending on where you are geographically, when you do that, depending on what you have searched prior, what you have clicked on prior on that given device, you could type in the words global warming and it might autofill for you on Google the words is a threat. Or, depending on where you are geographically, depending on what you've clicked on in the past and what you've read online in the past, it might fill in for you when you type in global warming, it might autofill is a hoax. So is it a threat or is it a hoax? Like, you know, who, who, is, who is to say? Is global warming threatening the planet or is it like a hyped up scare tactic to serve special interest groups? Like, who's the authority? what is true. We get then these alternative sets of facts, literally like 
different sources of truth, different definitions of reality. And of course, there's like a thousand different examples of this, right? Deep divides with different sources of truth. And sometimes, you know, we kind of just throw our hands up in the air and it's like, well, that decision doesn't exactly rest on me. And there's so much confusion about it. So I don't know. I'll just, I don't know. I'll just say that I'm undecided. But just because I might decide that I'm undecided, just because perhaps sometimes I will say um, I don't know about something doesn't mean that a reality doesn't exist that is ultimately the reality and the truth of the situation. It's kind of like in Wisconsin, you know, we'll tell our kids about the lake, you know, like if you step out onto the frozen lake, your, uh, the reality will be tested, right? You might believe the ice is strong enough to hold you, you might line up all your data points as to why you think the ice is strong enough to hold you. You might have a lot of rhetoric around that. You might even bring in experts to say it is. But the truth of the matter is when you step out onto the ice, you will know the reality of the situation. Does it hold you or does it not? You can believe with all your heart that the ice will hold you. You could do all of the things, but that moment of truth is when you step out onto the lake. So who is my authority on things? What, that, that question of authority, what is true? Who has the authority? That's really what our passage of scripture in the gospel reading for today is all about. Who do I listen to? And this passage comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter one, where we read this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he, that's Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. In this passage, people in that synagogue are coming right smack into truth. They have an encounter. And we kind of see two things. One, we see that truth in, in this passage, we see how truth is 
personal, not individual, but personal, and also communal. Let me explain what I mean. Truth is personal, not individual. It's not like I make up my own truth, but it is personal. The passage shows that truth is a person, and this person is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. They have an encounter with Christ. They have an encounter with him that really leaves them amazed and awestruck. Like, they are used to going to the synagogue. They are used to going and hearing scribes talk about ideas. But this day, this day is different. They are used to hearing scribes talking about the truth, but here Jesus is speaking with an authority, and it's undeniable. Everybody sees it. It's on display in a human life. It makes a difference. So because of who Jesus is and what he does, they're realizing, like maybe for the first time in their lives, that truth is personal. Like this is, this is personal because up until that point, their teachers were always passing on to them like, here's what so-and-so rabbi said and this rabbi said this. And they were used to hearing various opinions from past masters. When they would come in and listen to a scribe, that was how it was. But this is different. This is something different. On that day, that particular Sabbath day, Jesus comes in to their synagogue and they find that the truth is not like a what to be dissected and studied. The truth is a person with a face whom they can follow, a living, breathing man whose face they recognize and also whose actions they can accompany. They're used to truth being like a what that they can kind of control study, dissect, but this is a person whom they cannot control, who is living and breathing right before them. Interesting how later in the scriptures we see that that the word of God, it's God-breathed. Here we see Jesus, this living, breathing person right before them. What is happening is they're moving out of their heads You know that place, (laughs) I don't know about you, where I often live, which is like about information, it's about judging. They're moving out of that place into an experience of the real presence of God. It's a different place. And what they see here is that the truth is powerful, has authority. The truth is not like this abstract notion. It actually has the power to cast out an unclean spirit, to bring about transformation in a real friend right before them. Now, I kind of, you know, you think about this story. I imagine many of them had been coming to the synagogue for worship many times before. Perhaps the man with the unclean spirit had all the right ideas about God. Perhaps was able to quote the Torah, was doing all the right actions, was coming to worship. But still in him, 
was something that needed change, needed to be cast out. And maybe none of the people around him even knew about that thing, or maybe, maybe they did know, but they couldn't do anything because what this man needed was a touch from God, an encounter with Christ. See, in this moment in Scripture, we see Jesus' authority. We see Jesus is the truth. It's not an abstract moment. It's like a personal encounter. It's not an educational moment like they were having with the scribes. It's a transformational moment. It's not about knowledge that puffs up. It's about a real, practical wisdom for life. An unclean spirit is cast out, and nobody can deny it. They're all talking about it. They're all wondering about it together. You know, here in the West, like in Western Christianity, if you, if you ask a follower of Jesus, like, you know, what is your authority or, or what is the truth, very often we will say the Bible. Yes, and we don't worship the Bible. We worship the one the Bible reveals. We worship Christ, whom Scripture reveals and points to. The Bible is important because it tells us the story of God, but we, we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus himself. And so too often what happens is like, the Bible gets used as a hammer to bang people over the head. And, and I just, I get myself in trouble when I only see truth as a right to be studied, a thing I think I can control, like with enough education and enough intellect. If I view truth as just a what, like believe the right things, truth kind of becomes my slave. I've got this under my control. But in the scripture today, we see it's Christ himself who has authority. When I come to the scriptures, it's not merely informational like the scribes in the passage. It's, a trans it, it's to be a transformational encounter with the living God. It is to be personal because it, it actually has the power to cast out unclean spirits in you. But the thing is, is, is to approach faith and God and scripture that way, it, it means something in me has to die. And that thing is my sense of control, right? That I can control this. We're not making the truth our slave by mastering it. What we're doing is we're coming under it, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're coming under the truth, under the authority of the truth. I'm not over it, mastering it with my smarts, my intellect, my education, my study, my morality. I'm not in charge of it. It's in charge of me. 
So something in you has to die. We're submitting ourselves to the rule and reign of a person in a kingdom. Person is Christ. Kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. Now, okay, again, just like let's be clear. Because we're saying truth is personal, has this personal impact, it doesn't mean it's individual. Like whatever I am feeling today is the truth. To live in the kingdom of God is to have God as king and to have all the scattered parts of me come under the rule and reign under the lordship of Christ. So that means, you know, my thoughts, my feelings at any given moment, my emotions, they all come under the rule and reign of Jesus. Thomas Aquinas, he would teach that there are like three aspects to a person. So you have the beliefs, the actions, and the affections. Your beliefs, what do you think? Your actions, what do you do? And your affections, what do you want? You know, what do you desire? And he talked about this as the the aspects of a person that need to come under the rule and reign of Christ. And, you know, unfortunately, so often we're so focused on the first two and we kind of forget about the third one, right? So it's all about, like, right thinking and right action. And, and the unfortunate part of that is, is that over time, in, you know, American Christianity in particular, we can have stadiums full of people who would say, I think, I believe, Jesus rose from the dead. I've invited him into my heart. And their actions are to show up at church every week, to do the right thing, to be moral. But when it comes to the affections, the desires, you know, if we could like peel the layers back in ourselves, the belief might be there and the action might be there. But the real affection of so many of our hearts is that what we want and what we desire is like it's more mixed up in the American dream than the kingdom of God. Because what I really want and what I really desire, it's all, it's all mixed up in, in my comfort, my security, my fame, my money, my power, and who you know and what you have. To come under the rule and reign of Jesus is like, it's, it's for all the scattered parts of me to come under the lordship of Christ. You know, so it, it's not just my thinking and my actions. Those are absolutely a piece of it. But it's also my desires, my affections. What is it that I really want? So it's in this way that truth is very personal, right? It's getting up in my business in that way, Right? Don't talk to me about what I really want, what I really desire. But we must. Like in a world of all these conflicting ideas and alternate definitions and reality, like may we remember truth is not just a what. It's a who whose hand 
you hate it. We don't make up our own truth. There is a reality that exists, whether I accept it as true or not. But the other thing we see in this passage is that Jesus, it's communal. Like Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus encounters the people in their synagogue. Like it's this public place where there's you know, study and discussion and worship and, and community and connection happens on a regular basis where people have a sense that they're a part of each other, that they're accountable for one another. And so when they witness Jesus casting out an unclean spirit in a person that they likely know, what do they do? They, they're looking to each other to seek to understand, like, what, what just happened here? They start to talk amongst themselves. They wonder about it together. And it is within that network of relationships relationships with all the strands and all the tangles it's within that network of relationships that they encounter Jesus they are experiencing God in community with one another and so do we following Jesus it's not just about my beliefs and my actions God is seeking to transform all of me and all of you. There's an experience of God that goes beyond knowledge to become a practical working wisdom in your life. And again, it's, it's about all the pieces, all the scattered pieces of me coming under the authority of Christ. And it involves our thinking and our actions and our desires. And it doesn't happen alone. It happens within communities that uphold the truth, submit to the truth, grapple together with the truth, and remember that the truth is not just this abstract thing that we seek to control. That Jesus himself is the truth. And that he is always leading and guiding. That he is always present, like even when I get it wrong, still there saying I will never leave you or forsake you and it's okay I'm still here you still hold the hand of truth who desires to guide you who desires to see all of you come under the perfect authority of his loving life let's pray together as we Lord Jesus, thank you for this story. Oh, just to marvel at that moment is to marvel at you, your goodness, your power, that you, that you just, there, like we sing, like there's, there's no wall you won't kick down because you love us just that much. God, I pray for everyone gathered, scattered today that you might just illuminate us 
to the ways in which we're resistant to coming under your your leadership in our lives. Would you show us what it looks like to, to love more like you love, to lead more like you lead, to live more as you live. There would be more of you and less of us. We pray in Jesus' name.